You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Welcome to this 91 four-factor podcast incorporating a quarterly review and stock picking. With me are Reinhard Root, co-head of Four Factor. Also co-head at Four Factor is Mark Breeden and also Christine Barlam, who's a portfolio manager. Mark, I want to start with you and I want to talk about the first quarter of this year, which has been absolutely extraordinary and have a look at the macro themes and the the two overriding themes from my point of view, inflation and the global economic recovery with inflation being to the fore. How does this affect you as a bottom-up stock-picking strategist? Mm -hmm. Well, you're right, of course. I mean, that's been the two big things, isn't it? I mean, I think you look back towards the end of last year and investors were really a bit anxious about, you know, are we going to see a significant recovery or not? And you go back to ask those same people today and they're now worrying about the recovery potentially being too strong. And, of course, a too strong recovery is the one that alarms around the potential impact on inflation. Um, And as you know, we've seen over the first quarter bond yields move higher. Um, But not only that, pertaining to your question about what have we seen from the bottom up, is that we've seen a change in leadership around factor uh, in the market. I mean, that was there in Q4. It's got extended in Q1 as two. And that is, as expectations for the economy pick up, as inflation expectations pick up, then it is the value factor that people go for because those companies are more cyclically orientated and their profits are more tied to the economy. So what we've seen from our four-factor screen has been more value companies coming up for us to look at. And we've invested in them. Um, Certainly our portfolios today look more value-orientated than probably they were six months ago. Um, And the screen supports that because earnings revisions in the value space have been extremely strong. Um, You know, these companies are certainly benefit not just from higher expectations for growth, but a high yield curve has helped in financials, higher commodity prices has helped in the material side. And there are two sectors that are coming through pretty strongly now from a bottom-up perspective, two value sectors coming through, right, where we're seeing a lot of new ideas coming to look at for the portfolios. And of course, earnings revisions are a key point when it comes to the, the way that 91 invests across the board, I believe, having spoken to your colleagues over the years. Just very quickly, key risks and opportunities for equity investors in 2021, which has already entered the second quarter. Just a brief one. It's hard. I mean, there are always risks out there, as we we know. You know, I think the, the, the issue out there and still unresolved is what will the inflationary impact be over the next few quarters as we move into a greater post-COVID environment and growth begins to spurt up again. What will be the impact on prices? And that's what's worrying investors because what they're worried about is a very rapid recovery will lead to a rapid pickup inflation and then we'll see the central banks put their foot on the brake and start raising short-term interest rates. I think that's what's worrying markets today is that duration of that recovery may prove relatively short if inflation comes through more strong than expected. Christine, I want to come to you now. Given what Mark has just said, and, and given the cyclical recovery and rising inflation expectations from many people, financial companies have had a strong start to the year, and hopefully that will be embellished by the US earnings season, which we're in the midst of at the moment, and financial companies at the fore. How do these dynamics affect financials? 
Well, financial companies, particularly banks, of course, are economically very sensitive. Um, they're probably the most geared plays on the underlying economies in which they operate. But as we've seen that cyclical recovery play through over the last nine to 12 months, interestingly, balance sheet financials were really late to the party. And the reason for that has been the interest rate backdrop. So it's so hard for these companies to make money when interest rate expectations are low. And in some cases, even even negative. And that's why it's taken the rising inflation expectations to really get this sector moving. Because as Mark said, as inflation expectations pick up, people believe that rates will have to rise, yield curves steepen, you have the prospect for short-term rates going up, and that is very beneficial for the profitability and the returns of, of the banking sector. Indeed, banks now have the best earnings momentum in the market. Um, and as Mark said, they're a cheap sector. And I think very importantly for banks as well, the other cheap sectors energy, sustainability challenges. Banks actually have an opportunity to embrace sustainability, which is another added benefit of the sector. Okay, let's have a look at in the light of all that and encapsulating what you and Mark have just said. Can you talk us through a new purchase that takes in into consideration all of these dynamics and might be able to take advantage of them? Yes, I mean, this combination of value and earnings momentum has, has definitely seen a lot more opportunities in the sector come through and it's enabled us to close what was a very large underweight um, that we had previously been been running. But for us, it's also really important, though, to find companies where we think there are good underlying investment cases. And we're not just playing this reflation trade because whether or not ultimately interest rates will go up, I don't know. And if they don't, some case, in some cases, the rug could be pulled out. So for us, we really want to focus on companies where we have confidence in the balance sheet strength, hence their ability to return capital. Digitalization strategies are, are well advanced and where you have good growth potential from the underlying business mix. And Nordea, the pan-Nordic back, stood out for us in that context. This is a company where growth shouldn't just be driven by loan growth, but they've also got a very good wealth and asset management division. They have spent a fortune overhauling their core IT banking systems over the re last few years, which has been painful, but they're through it. And so they're now really well placed to reap the benefits of that. And this company is swimming in excess capital. Potentially 40% of the market capitalization could come back to us as shareholders over the next three years. And then on that very important sustainability theme, this is a bank that's embracing it. It doesn't have its head in the sand. So whether that's the ESG credentials of the wealth and asset management products that it's selling, or whether it's the commitment to move towards carbon neutrality, both with itself as a business, but also, most importantly, within its own loan and, in, and investment book. Sounds like a compelling, <laughs> compelling investment argument, I must say. Reinhardt, I'm going to come to you now with Anglo-American. Anglo-American has been in the news recently because it's divesting in a small part of its business in the coal division in, in South Africa. But uh, the cyclical rally has had far-reaching effects beyond financials, which Christine was just talking about. How has it affected other cyclical sectors and how does this compare to last year? So, hi, Lindsay. I mean, like Mark and Christine has said, the more cyclical parts of the market certainly looks on a much much stronger footing now than, say, just over a year ago. And we've seen that 
and obviously rising inflation expectations, rising bond yields, and that is filtered through to hard assets such as commodity prices. You've seen prices of copper, aluminium, and iron ore being exceptionally strong at a at a macro level due to increased levels of demand, and that is filtered through to to bottom up earnings expectations, which have been steadily revised higher over the course of the the past couple of months. So within that sector, we really like Anglo American for for a number of reasons. If we look at the company today, it's certainly a very different business compared to five years ago. You know, the company's made very good progress over the past few years to streamline its operations. They've completed a number of fairly troubled new developments. And overall, the competitiveness of its asset portfolio is much better today than only a couple of years ago. It certainly has a superior mix of, say, commodities. It's got best-in-class growth. And the company really produces a number of critical commodities facilitating the energy transition and decarbonization. And we think nearly two-thirds of its overall asset portfolio is tilted towards commodities that will enable a much more sustainable future. The company is primarily exposed to platinum group metals and copper, where future demand growth appears to be exceptionally strong and supply is also quite limited. And copper, of course, is supported by the acceleration in the EV transition. And and, And when we compare an internal combustion, say, engine, with an electric vehicle, the electric vehicles have nearly four times the copper, say, say content. And Anglo certainly has best-in-class production growth within copper over the next decade. And when we compare the company to its commodity peers, those peers are heavily exposed to fossil fuels, to steel-making raw materials such as iron ore. And while Anglo certainly has some iron ore exposure, their production within iron ore is very much skewed towards higher-grade material, where we think demand growth will in fact remain quite strong as China desperately wants to reduce its, say, pollution levels. The company also has its own very ambitious targets to decarbonize its own business and much more rapidly than than its, say, peers. And we also believe that they have the right people within the company and their own proprietary technology to, in fact, get it right. Yes, again, another uh, very compelling argument. Mark, I'm going to come back to you now, and I want to talk about tech because 2020 was was really focused our attention on the tech giants, but there must be companies that are bubbling under, sort of under the radar, if you like, and maybe people are too focused on the really big companies and ignoring the smaller companies. What do you think? I think that is absolutely correct. And, you know, it's been interesting. The one company we've become very interested in and brought into the portfolios um, since its spin back in December as a company called Concentrix. Now, not particularly large, about today a market capitalization of about $7 billion, refocused on its business of providing outsourcing to businesses. So basically they run call centers around the world, particularly focused in the United States. Um, and this is a business that's growing very quickly indeed. On the original spin, we heard from Concentrix, they thought their organic growth were between 3 and 5%. Already expectations for this year are up to 13%. More and more companies are outsourcing their customer service requirements to companies like Concentrix. And Concentrix is the second largest 
stock in this field in the world after teleperformance. It'll be growing quickly. It has a 6% free cash flow yield. And there are a few things in there as a company that's restructuring its businesses, which we often like to find as well. You know, from having been more focused on the less profitable area of telecoms, of media, you know, we're seeing it doing much more now in consumer, in e-trade and so on. And there is one big opportunity out there for them, which I think is probably all of these companies in a relatively fragmented industry is going to be content mitigation. You know, uh, a lot of the big players are going to find it very hard and already finding it hard to filter their content. You know, outsourcing might well be a way to go and could be a very large market. So companies like this that are coming a bit under the radar, you know, a bit more medium cap, you know, have some restructuring story behind them, can improve their margins with decent organic sales growth. You know, they're, they're out there today and Concentrics is one of them. Mark, thank you very much for that. And thank you to the team for this 91 Four Factor podcast. That was Reinhard Root, co-head of Four Factor. Uh, co-head of Four Factor as well is Mark Breeden and also Christine Barlam, portfolio manager, all at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.